not happened for an age. What's that? Tis a gathering. Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 66 of the podcast and today we continue the Numenor Challenge, New Year Numenor. So uh, happy new year to everyone listening uh, when this is first released. Uh, still, I, I guess it's still a bit late for a new year, but still, uh, happy new year either way. Uh, we're looking at the start of January and we're looking actually back to a tournament I attended in, not in December, but in November. Um, you may remember from the previous uh, previous uh, podcast, uh, we uh, basically, I, I kind of skipped an event, uh, a one-dayer that I, I've been to um in Melton Mowbray, uh, called It Comes in Pints, uh, run by uh, local stars and patron supporters. So really, I should have uh, I should have done this a long time ago. Uh, Carl and uh, Nathan Talbot, uh, Carl Daly and Nathan Talbot. Um, so really good. It was a great event. Um, so I, I just uh, they just got really busy just shortly after that, and I managed to still get away for a tournament after that, but just haven't been able to find the time to edit. So uh, I'm tour- I bring this to you now at the turning of the new year, um, which is exciting. So we'll be talking all about uh, this podcast. Uh, We'll do the Riddle in the Dark as well. We'll have a new riddle set for you, uh, catch up on some um, messages from folks uh, who've been listening, and uh, we'll also uh, delve into the future and look at what Numenor things I have ahead. So exciting times uh, here on Entmoot. We've got plenty coming up. But first, we're going to a tournament. It's an unusual points limit, unusual restrictions tournament. So let's build an army. Yes, we're building an army for Numenor. Uh, So I'm continuing my Numenor quest. Uh, I mentioned at the tail end of uh, last year and at the podcast that I'm finally getting onto my quest to uh, use Numenor. I've been building and painting lots of models over a long period of time and hopefully uh, we'll be, you know, just testing them out on the tabletop, seeing if it's possible to have a good army that is pure Numenor or. I'd say 80 to 90% Numenor. That's what I'm aiming for anyway. I might eventually throw in some some green allies, which uh, we'll get onto in a little bit. Um, but first, let's give you a bit of an idea of the tournament. It's in Melton Mowbray, which is uh, famous for pork pies and Stilton cheese. Um, and essentially, it's it's just a, a little one-dayer event that's um, a 500-point event uh, based in the uh, a, a, a shop there. And it's just designed for locals. It's only a, just about an hour and a half drive for me, so not a massive drive uh, and quite handy, handily located. Lots of people from Lincolnshire heading there and Nottingham. So um, should be a fair old, a fair old uh, batch of folks, which is good. And uh, it's got an unusual, uh, unusual sort of twist to it. So uh, it says, um, and uh, I meant as I mentioned, five hundred points. And um, so that's the starting point. So that already restricts things quite a lot. But and um, there's kind of a little extra bit. So it, essentially, um, you can bring an additional independent or minor hero of up to 65 points. Uh, now, it has to be from your chosen army. Um, or if you don't, if your chosen army does not have an independent or minor hero available, which of course I don't, then you must choose one from a green allied army first 
and then trickle down until yellows. So essentially you have to have um, a, a green or, or so on, allies um, or whatever. So it's all it's all interesting. So um, I, I, I think this adds some a little bit of spice because I'm intrigued at what kind of random heroes are going to be uh, brought along for the ride um it just adds a lot of extra amusement um so let's let's delve into what i'm i'm bringing um bearing in mind um Bearing in mind, I've I've sort of toyed with uh, Numenor already at sort of small points levels. Uh, I mentioned I tried to do a 600 points uh, one uh, in the Great North Run up in Newcastle a while back, and found that I literally couldn't have 600 points uh, and a 600 point army without um, sort of uh, Elendil and I think it was a Sildor or some kind of hodgepodge, including spears and shields and bowmen with spears and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, so for 500 points, uh, I've gone with the big daddy of them all. It is, of course, El Endil. Uh, he's mounted, he's got his shield, he's 200 points of goodness, and we're probably going to start with him a lot of the times I'm running an army um, of Numenor. Uh, 200 points, he's got, the, he's got the strength 5, he's got the plus 1 to wound, he's got um, the free heroic combats, he's just ace. Um, and alongside him, We've got six Numenorean warriors with spear and shield, four Numenorean warriors with shield, uh, a banner and shield and spear guy, and a couple of bowmen as well. So he's got uh, 13 models in his warband. So he's a hero of legends, so he can have 18. So uh, I think I've mentioned this before. If you're not packing out that warband, you might be doing something wrong. So that's uh, that's where we are at the moment. And then we've got uh, a captain mounted with armour and shield and lance. So he's got all the stuff for 75 points. He has alongside him eight warriors, four of which have spear and shield, two of which have bow, and two of which have shield. So that is my 500 points. So as you can see, both warbands sort of not to their full capacity, which um, I, I don't think is a great thing. But we've got 500 points. It's round. It's nice. Uh, we've got 23 models in there. That's pretty good. We've got five points of mo- uh, might in there. Again, not bad, especially because you've got the free heroic combat. Uh, and it looks all, all toasty and nice. And I get a free independent hero. So independent heroes do not exist in the um, uh, in, in the, the green ally. So Numenor doesn't have anything. So uh, essentially, I'm forced to do a green allied army first so what's green allied army well of course it's rivendell that's the only one we've got for numenor now this poses some interesting decisions so i don't actually own one of these models and i do own the other one do i want a stormcaller and do i want to invest money in stormcaller knowing what i know about stormcallers that is essentially i understand they're not great um, they're pretty poor by what I gather. So, uh, and I thought, well, I don't own a Stormcaller. So, what's the other option? And the other option, and he's hidden uh, in the sort of army list bit on the very first page of the Rivendell book. Um, it's uh, you know not actually in the list of profiles because he comes from a different uh, different army list originally, and that's the Shire. And the model is, of course, Bilbo Baggins. And now this starts to become interesting, doesn't it? Because Bilbo Baggins can be armed with a mithril coat, he can be armed with sting, and of course he can take the one ring, which is weird. So this is this isn't. There's no restrictions. I double checked this because I was really concerned that as soon as I found this, that it was, it was breaking all the rules in some way, shape, or form. But Elendil doesn't have any uh, sort of covenant on him stopping him from allying with 
you know, uh, with Bilbo, for example. It, there are there are strange limits on Gilgalad, um, and so uh, you know, Elendil can't appear with uh, Isildur if Isildur has the ring, um, and all these sorts of stuff. So. I assumed there would be, but there's no FAQs, uh, unless you're listening to this after an FAQ has been busted this. Um, there's no FAQ stopping it. So I thought, who's? this is a model that I haven't yet painted. It's a classic, classic model. Um, the lovely uh, Bilbo Baggins holding his book with the ring in his hand. He's a beautiful model. He's <laughs> kind of handy in this. Um, and it's a free independent hero, and it fits the, uh, the sort of rules of restrictions of the tournament. So that's right, I've gone with... Elendil with Bilbo in the ring, which feels a little bit filthy, but it's it's cool, it's exciting, and I th- feel I may have stumbled across something here, which is really rather good. Now, worth noting, normally you can't just ally him in; you have to ally him in uh, alongside a hero of fortitude because that's the minimum level of requirement for a green ally, uh, and he's an independent hero, so I can't do that normally. Or n- neither can I do a minor hero, and I think they. Uh, the the next sort of level up you'd kind of have to ally him in to, with a captain uh, in a normal um, tournament or a normal kind of army list so, so you'd probably want the I don't know Elendil elven captain on with Lance and stuff and then you can drop um, Bilbo in there which is very good though isn't it it's really very good so <clears throat> that's pretty exciting so uh, we've got that we've got 23 models we've got 5 points of might with the heroic combat the beat stick that is Elendil um, and also we have the one ring on a Bilbo Baggins who also has a couple of points of might so he's actually not bad so that's my army and I kind of think I've stumbled across something really good here and maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm over it a bit but, but I, I know I have to play Elendil well and I know that uh, Numenorians have their obvious weakness in the defence five but the, the power of Elendil against something with with Bilbo Baggins potentially one ringing it and and you know that's just unbeatable right like that's so cool so I, I mean maybe maybe at 500 points you're not likely to come up against such huge things that you'll need a ring and Elendil but either way it's handy to have it so we'll see how that combination gets on later on but first Riddles in the dark Yes, that's right. Riddles in the dark. Now, this, of course, is a, a, a time in the podcast where, A, I delve into the email inbox uh, to have a look at what are sort of bits and bobs you've been messaging me about. But also, we try and play a riddle in the dark game, which is basically I play a clip from the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies, and then you tell me who speaks next and what they say. So, last episode, which was just in the sort of betwixtmas period after Christmas and the New Year um, and before the New Year, we had this clip, which was in the episode, which was the end of the GBHL League. So, who did we find out was speaking next and what did they say? Well, let's delve into the email inbox. We've got a few few messages tucked away in there, uh, and we can uh, we can reveal the answer in a second. So, uh, first, let's go to Carl Tinsley. Uh, this is sent to me on New Year's Eve, so Happy New Year's uh, since then, Carl. Uh, hi, not been listening to the podcast long. Uh, in the last few months of 2022, I took up running and have listened to a lot of your content while exercising. Fantastic. Uh, as you can imagine, this has meant I have never really had the opportunity to email in. Well, I thought this time I might have a go at your riddle. I think it's the prologue of The Fellowship of the Ring 
just after Sauron has defeated Elendil. The next person to speak is Galadriel's voiceover, and she says, It was in this moment, when all hope has faded, that Isildur, son of the king, took up his father's sword. This is pretty sneaky, because I'm pretty sure you have used a Galadriel voiceover before as your riddle. The one in The Return of King, I believe, though that's more of a flashback, I suppose. Anyway, thanks for getting me through my running. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your Numenor force in action. Carl, thank you very much for getting in touch, Carl. Uh, Mark Kittle's in touch. He says Happy New Year, slightly in advance, because he sent this on New Year's Eve as well. I was listening to the podcast while walking the dog in the rain and felt pretty confident about this one. Hopefully not overconfident. Quick YouTube, just to double check, and I'm reasonably sure the next person to speak is Galadriel carrying on her narration by saying it was in this moment when all hope had faded and so on i found a sheltered spot to email while i remembered now on with the dog walk says mark thanks very much for getting in touch mark uh philip's been in touch he says hi harry i'm determined to get a riddle right this time and and this time it being lord of the rings i think i'll get it considering the theme of your army and the iconic scene i knew the scene straight away but had to look to remind myself who speaks is that cheating i think that might be i think this is when sauron strikes down elendil the next person to speak is galadriel the narrator thank you again for the great content Uh, Nathan is the last person to get in touch he's writing to me from Australia and has only recently discovered the podcast after getting back into MESBG he says I'm loving your work so far this riddle seemed easy compared to your last one but the sound clip is is from the Fellowship of the Ring during the prologue just after Elendil is killed by Sauron and Narsil hits the rock the next speaker is Galadriel and narrator excellent uh, and you do read the see the quote as well. Uh, also, uh, and so just just before we we will hear the clip, we will hear the clip in a second. But obviously, all four of you are absolutely bang on the money. So well done, guys! Uh, you've beaten me this time. I thought it was probably an obvious one, uh, but anyway, yes, the answer was uh, Galadriel speaking next. And here's the full clip. It was in this moment. When all hope had faded, that Isildur, son of the king, took up his father's sword. So there you go. Well done, uh, everyone. That was uh, this episode's, uh, the answer to this episode's Riddle in the Dark, or last episode, I suppose. And and I just want to carry on with uh, Nathan Colkman's uh, message from Australia. Nathan says, I had a topic I'd be interested in getting your thoughts on, and apologies if you've spoken about this previously. 3D printing has taken large parts of my local gaming group by storm, and they're printing entire MESB... Oh, sorry, the printing of entire MESBG armies is occurring. Now more people are playing, but conversely, they're not supporting GW. Do you think this is good or bad for the game in the long run? Regards, Nathan. <sighs> oh, this is this is a can of worms, isn't it? And um, your question is specific. Do you think this is good or bad for the game in the long run? I think I'm I'm torn on this one. Um, I do because in the long run, I feel like surely Games Workshop can't compete with the proliferation of three D printing. Um, and the, especially at the costs that it has. But on the other hand, people do still support Games Workshop. And I support Games Workshop, despite knowing that there are plenty of good alternatives. And I don't know whether that... Uh, cheaper alternatives as well. I don't know whether that's because of sort of... 
I don't know, blind kind of fanboying or um, just support because I know that the the game is made by this company and therefore I sort of, you know, back in the early GBHL days it was support your Hobbit hobby. So it was, you know, there was this whole thing about encouraging people to buy more Middle Earth toys, play uh, the game and, you know, be vocal about it and keep that game going. Uh, So one part of me says, no, I don't think 3D printing... Um, entire MESBG armies is a good thing Um, because in the long run if nobody's buying stuff from Games Workshop basically Games Workshop will become a rules producer and I don't think it'll have quite the clout it has at the moment uh, and it'll be more difficult for it to sort of sustain the support that it has for uh, you know for the sort of the game and I just don't think they could make it make the same amounts of money and therefore have the same amounts of staff and therefore the same quality uh, control that they have over the game so I no I don't think it's good in the long run but it is much cheaper and I do think it's kind of inevitable that that people will start using um, 3D printing. And I think part of the problem here is that the 3D printing is filling the gap in availability for uh, Games Workshop. And look, I know, I think everyone who is sort of familiar with Games Workshop over a long period of time will know fully well that some of the issues that that they've had in terms of sort of uh, warehouse space and space on the website and essentially dedicating X only a small number of uh, of sort of website codes or or sort of space on the web store to um, Middle Earth. And then also there'll be warehouse space issues that that mean that, you know, something like, I don't know, the Mahud Raiders that recently came back on sale, they have then just essentially gone straight out of, of stock because... Uh, because there's so, there've been so much in demand or so much pent up demand that people just launch into this frenzy and buy all this stuff, and then Games Workshop was like, "Well, okay, we ran out," and then people get really disappointed, and therefore you can't blame people for for going. Well, look, I've I've never seen this model in stock. I will go to a three D printed version. I'll go to a third party version and buy that because a it's cheaper and b the actual GW version isn't available. So. I think the answer to this, uh, your question, which I'm kind of going to end up rambling about now, is essentially it, 3D printing will not um, support be good for the game in the long run. It certainly won't be good for Games Workshop. Um, but Games Workshop doesn't necessarily have to keep running the game. I mean, that if if the if Games Workshop folded right now, there'd be some sort of community um, rules packs updated and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it it's difficult. Um, but I think I, I think we should support the should support Games Workshop, and we should also moan about it when Games Workshop doesn't have stock or doesn't have the uh, the the right the sort of stuff from the rulebook in uh, for sale on the store. Because if you don't moan about it, you don't click the email me button uh, on the Games Workshop website to show you're interested in buying this thing. They simply won't do it, and the more people playing the game, the better. But I would also very much encourage people to support Games Workshop where they can and do the emailing thing. Because if everyone starts printing stuff, Games Workshop will stop putting money into um, Lord of the Rings because the the dwindling sales or whatever, maybe, I mean, who knows, um, then then that would that would sort of stifle the game as well. And I think it's it's in a really good place at the moment. Um, but Games Workshop needs to sort its house out, as far as I'm concerned, because it's ridiculous that it's got 
sort of stuff out of stock so often i mean i just don't know how how a business can run if you would if basically if you were a games workshop if if you ignored all the rest of the stuff that games workshop makes um and you were just making lord of the rings warhammer um or middle earth strategy battle game stuff like it would be a, a criminal way of running a, a business because like you can't just be out of stock of all of your things all the time it would be silliness and i think the problem here is that games workshop makes so much money off 40k and so much money off age of sigmar and all the other systems that it does that it's just kind of dedicating a very small amount of space in its warehouse to um to middle earth and they need to expand the warehouse and do all the other stuff obviously i don't know all the ins and outs and i'm sure um there's reasonable answers to uh, a lot of these questions but uh, it, it does seem a bit strange to to have such a huge um, sort of license uh, thing, and to and it's basically a license to print money um, because there are lots of people who are, are, are always posting about these things, and there doesn't ever seem to have been a solution uh, to that that problem of things going out of stock so often and things being circled out of the range so often. Um, and I'm sure the Middle Earth team themselves, um, Rob Alderman and uh, Jay and uh, Dan Entwistle and, and others uh, who work behind the scenes, um, I bet they're like pulling their hair out all the time trying to uh, explain or tell their bosses, this is ridiculous. Why can't we just have this more capacity? Why can't you just make a thousand Mummock war, war leaders, a thousand Mahud raiders and just have them in a, a warehouse somewhere? Uh, it just seems strange to me. Um, but I guess they're they're probably they're probably just as frustrated as we are that they're out of stock. So, um, really, really good question, um, Nathan. Uh, I I I I'll just go back to what you actually asked because you said you're interested in getting your thoughts on. And apologies if you already spoken about it. 3D printing's taken a, taken large parts of my local gaming group by storm, and the printing the entire MESBG armies is occurring now. More people are playing, but conversely, not supporting GW. Do you think this is good or bad for the game in the long run? Um, I, I, as I say, I think the answer to that is um, it probably isn't great for the game in the long run, but Games Workshop's not kind of shooting themselves in the foot there. Um, but I would encourage you to, and I know there's a different thing here, it being Australia and the costs of everything in Australia are so much higher than they are here. So um, it's it's really interesting. I'd actually really like uh, your opinions on this, uh, not just you, Nathan, but everyone's, because it's a topic that i think is becoming more common one of my friends uh, tim who comes on the podcast and talks to me a lot uh, he uh, he has started getting uh, printing stuff um and other people i know in the local area have started doing it as well it also has a downside on your local uh, friendly local gaming store which is a shame if you're playing in like a scout hut or whatever then it probably doesn't matter so much but um I really want to know. I really want to know your opinions on this, uh, especially if you're in Australia or in America or wherever, where it's different prices. Maybe in the continent, uh, Poland, uh, you know, wherever you are. I'd really want to know your opinions on this. Entmoot podcast, Entmoot podcast at gmail dot com. If you have an opinion on whether three D printing is good or bad for the game um, in the long run, I, I really want to know. And obviously, if you're a Games Workshop staff member, uh, I, I'll keep it anonymous if you want. Uh, send in a message um, uh, sort of telling me what the issues are or maybe you have it uh, directly from uh, someone who works in Games Workshop as to what the, what is the problem why is it so often out of stock um, let me know entmootpodcast at gmail.com I'm keen to kind of 
do this sort of topic over and over again. In fact, before Nathan had sent this message, uh, I was thinking of doing like the big topic in each episode. So maybe, maybe we'll we'll carry this topic on uh, in the next episode and uh, and have the big topic each time we have a podcast um, because I find it really interesting and I think there's plenty of debates to be had uh, in the community as long as we don't get angry at each other we're all gravy so um, there you go that's a long kind of rant about <laughs> about 3D printing but I think it's uh, I think it's something that a lot of people will be thinking about because we're going to see these 3D printed models a lot more in fact for Christmas from my SBG Santa uh, Secret Santa I got a 3D printed Gilgalad on horse and I feel less bad about that because there isn't a Gilgalad on horse uh, model so if there was a Gilgalad horse on model I'd get the Games Workshop one probably but I've got this one now and it's really nice and it's surprisingly nice so I don't know how much it costs obviously because it was a present but I'd imagine it was a lot cheaper than I don't know, the latest Elrond, which I've also got so uh, uh, it's really interesting, a uh, really interesting debate let me know what you think is 3D printing good or bad for the game in the long run? Entmootpodcast at gmail.com So, uh, with that in mind, let's move on to the gaming time. So, we mentioned earlier, we've got the Numenor, we've got the little cheeky Bilbo Baggins with Sting, with a, uh, with the uh, armour, with Mithril, uh, the Mithril vest, and we've also got Elendil, strangely, in a kind of time vortex thing, a captain and a f- another uh, 21 models of Numenor. How will they fare at a local tournament in Milton Mowbray? Let's head to the tables. Here, Mr. Bilbo, where are you off to? Don't stop, I'm already late. Late for what? I'm going on an adventure. So game one of It Comes in Pints and we've got Retrieval to play. So that's basically the uh, capture the flag scenario and playing against a regular opponent. It's Aidan Lummer. Um, so first of all, Aidan, uh, usually we see you with lots of uh, beautiful things like Bjornings and maybe Angmar and all these sorts of things. You're, you've got a wonderful army once again. But what is it? What have you bought for your 500 points and your free minor hero? I uh, bought a bit of an elf mishap, the mismash. Uh, so I've got uh, Haldir with a bunch of pyjama elves, uh, Legolas on horse, and then Glorfindel. And then my free minor hero is Arwen on foot. Mm, so hero heavy, but you do get quite a decent number of models. And of course, they're all elves or, or largely elves. So uh, not a bad, not a bad uh, uh, army there. So... Coming up against Numenor, you saw Elendil, you saw Bilbo. Um, what did you think about it? What d- Did you fancy your chances in this one? I knew it was going to be a nasty combination. Bilbo was just going to completely disrupt everything. Um, but I had a decision to make either Glorfindel skirt around the edges and not do a lot or just dive him in. And it, it, he ultimately died, but I think it was the right decision to have him getting stuck in rather than just kind of skirt around the edges, maybe picking off one or two guys a turn. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, Glorfindel has to go in the the centre and and do stuff because then I kind of need to put my guys or surround my guys into him to make sure that he doesn't just tear through my army and 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 cause uh, all sorts of problems. But I mean, we deployed largely in kind of uh, uh, relatively straightforward. I, I came up to the middle of the sort of diagonal uh, deployment zone that we're we're allowed to go for, uh, and you deployed not super far back, but far back enough that you were getting 
plenty of shooting and I think about half a dozen Numenorians died before we even uh, hit combat which really even the, the numbers advantage you uh, that I had. Oh yeah absolutely uh, I know I needed to keep my guys kind of close enough to the objective that they could protect it but I still wanted to get a few turns of shooting in and yeah I think five maybe six dudes lost to shooting. Yeah well I mean with Haldir and Legolas in there plus normal um, elven shooting against defence five you're going to get a few kills so I knew I had to push forward pretty quickly I, I basically decided early on I'm going to abandon my own objective if you do get someone there fine but but I need to push through, break you, maybe kill your leader, and then eventually uh, tag on to the objective uh, in the final throws of the game. But and, and that kind of worked. I mean, you, I pushed forward and kind of the priority roll-offs went uh, just about the right way for me, I think, initially, to allow, um, uh, to give Glorfindel's sort of no option other than to essentially charge into combat and then once he did yes he killed a few guys but there was always the threat of Elendil heroic combating in and once Bilbo caught up with the crew it was a heroic combat with Elendil and the Bilbo in there as well yeah the deployment of Bilbo right up against the middle line was like okay well that's he's only going to be a few turns and he's in combat and screwing with all my lines so it, it was it was scary yeah I think he's a stronger uh, a minor hero choice than than Arwen potentially for this one because because he's just got so many it's it's just such an ad additional benefit for 60 points. It's absolutely uh, fantastic. But, I mean, having said that, it was an absolute bloodbath in the middle. I mean, I, I did get quite a lot of your elves, but my Numenorians were going down quite a lot. I mean, it was Elendil was really picking up the pace. He'd lost his horse early on to a Legolas snipe, which I kind of expected. But largely, your, your elves were, were chopping through stuff. Yeah, I, to be honest, I, I think having uh, knocked you off the horse maybe worked in your favour because mm. you were able to move through all the smaller gaps because you were still killing stuff just as quick as if you were mounted. Yeah, I mean, I'm killing someone twos. <laughs> yeah, apart from Glorfindel and uh, Legolas, you were wounding everything else on twos. Yeah, so it's strength five, uh, normally wounding it, your wood elves on threes and then down to twos, which is absolutely filthy. So, uh, And then, of course, eventually we got that beautiful combination of, of Elendil and Bilbo uh, surrounding Glorfindel and and it was, you know, you, did, you you tried some clever moves to try and get him out of dodge, basically. Yeah, the first uh, the first time that you could have got Elendil and Bilbo into Glorfindel, I combated with Glorfindel and won the roll-off. So I was able to bounce a couple of Numenorians and Bilbo away from him so that it was just... It would have been just a 1v1, but I think mm. you fluffed the combat with Elendil on that turn. Yeah, I, d I don't think I was going to actually go for uh, Glorfindel for the half-and-half half chance that time. But yeah, you, it, just by killing those uh, couple of Numenorians, I think you w uh, took a wound off Bilbo, uh, but it pushed him away, crucially. So if I did win the Elendil, Dill fight. Uh, and going into Glorfindel, both even fight, and you've got the Elven Blade. So it wasn't worth the, the risk that time. But as you say, he fluffed it anyway, so it was fine. But um, the next turn as well, you tried another heroic combat move, which was really smart. You got Haldir and everyone ready to try and peel Bilbo off, but you didn't get that one. Uh, no, just got unlucky in that one. Just the dice went that way. Um, yeah, I knew Glorfindel was going to be in trouble when you see Bilbo on the table, but it, it was still fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. as soon as Glorfindel and Elendil were in on him, it was, uh, I think, it wiped him off in one turn. But the problem with this, of course, at the time, uh, you, you decided basically legless on horse, skirting around the edges, taking pot shots every so often, but basically going for the objective, which was a, a shrewd move, because um, my my intention was to send my captain to uh, to get the objective eventually. Um, but I think we just got really bogged down in the centre, and the way the heroic moves were going meant that um, there was really a great opportunity to send my captain out of the the fray because uh, you know because as I say because the right move so he was always going to be stuck within that sort of uh, that bubble in the middle which I needed to get to, to pin down the right people to get uh, Bilbo uh, into the right people so I, I ended up sort of in this bubble which was probably about I think it was about nine inches or thereabouts away from the objective so it's two turns away from the objective um, and then disastrously the turn that um, the captain could get uh, into the objective pretty much um, he uh, he rolled a double one or one or two or whatever it was um, and ran away so it left me with this potential of, of a turn or two down the line um, 
I still needed needed someone to pick up that objective. So it's going to be two turns away. Meanwhile, Legolas had caught the objective and was waddling back to the the center line, which was um, which is a bit of a disaster, really, because um, there was a basically the um, there were timing. So. It, if you because we were, I, I was broken by this point, I think you were probably broken after the second point. But it was a number of turns that that it could have gone on that I would have won, and then one turn that you could have won, and then a couple of turns after that I'd have been drawing. So it was it was real nail biter in terms of when the game ended. Absolutely. I mean, if, if it had gone on for another turn, it would have been a draw, and I think if it had ended the turn earlier, it would have been a one point difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was just you crossed the line in that final turn uh, to push it from being what two points or three points or something to being five points, which ended up um, pushing it uh, over the line to a six-three victory uh, to you. Which uh, so I killed Glorfindel and got the break, but I, I didn't touch the objective even slightly. And even if I had, which I was one turn away, uh, I'd have only got. I'd have only pushed it back to the draw. So, uh, cracking game, Aiden. Uh, there's not much left on the field. Um, your Haldir's dead, Glorfindel's dead, Arwen died, Leggy is still alive, uh, Elendil and Bilbo are still alive, but the Numenorean captain ran away, which I think might have been one of the swings. So, uh, cracking game, though, and that combo, Elendil and Bilbo. Ooh, it's nasty. What do you think to that? Um, I think it's going to do you very well in other games. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I feel sorry for whoever has to go against that next. Well, thanks very much, Aiden. Best of luck at the rest of the tournament. And once again, I've said it many times and I'll say it again, uh, lovely lovely army here uh, as, as ever your your pajama elves just look fantastic and you've got a lovely little display board with uh, with those quite good looking trees where do they get those trees on they're really nice uh, guys selling them on facebook guys selling them on facebook search them out <laughs> all right on to game number two game two at it comes in pints and uh, playing storm the camp against richard burton and uh, we're playing uh, against well first of all i've got my numenorians of course and and richard what, what have you got in your army I've got a lovely goblin horde. Oh, lovely indeed. Lovely. And there's lots and lots of them as well. There's, I think, was it 40? There's 41 of the buggers. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, no, it's fine. We, we can have some mild-mannered swearing on the podcast. We're okay. Uh, so uh, just give us a bit more of a rundown of, uh, in detail what you've got in the force. I know you've got 40 goblins, but there's so, some other th- big things in there. I've got um, a converted Groblog, a uh, goblin captain with shield. I've got a goblin shaman, regular one. I've got the goblin black shield shaman, who is wonderful to use mm. on banners swords everything and my big beast of the day is the cave drake yeah so you've got some good stuff there 40 models big cave drake and the black the black shield shaman and that's your free hero that, that comes yeah, uh, with the my free one. the free one that comes with the uh, uh, the sort of uh, the, the whole format of the event so um, with that in mind storm the camp obviously this involves three turns of moving forward initially did you have a sort of plan in mind to try and either get the camp or, or dominate me in any way unfortunately little legs are never going to get to that side of the map five just isn't enough the idea was to meet you in the centre and just keep slugging it out and try and go for the breaker on you mm. right. and, and to be fair that you, you didn't get I, I, I guess you, you got pretty close to it in the end I think I got um, a, a about five wow. or six models off it but I there was a slight error in, in the deployments because the, the priorities, I think, um, there was a couple that you lost in a, in a row which meant that I, I could sort of respond to what you did uh, and you left a contingent of warriors on the right-hand side that were within range of the captain and Ellendil and essentially they just went, right, <laughs> we're going to get stuck in here and, and mopped up about no, no, half a dozen a straight away. On, it was a mistake on my part, mm. leaving them that close. And I keep trying to not make them same mistakes, but you know, you leave a model out in the open, you're going to get bit for it. Mm, exactly, and that's what happened. So I, I got uh, Ellendil took two out from one, and then heroic combat to another. Spent a pot of might to win that combat, and then killed another two. So it's four, and then the captain killed one as well. So five guys down in, in uh, early doors, and and I think then again, the my lines were just in the right position to be able to just encroaching so, forward. Yeah. And I think the 
biggest win I got out of that was just taking a Lindell off his horse, mm. which doesn't sound important, but stopping him from charging around and using all those dice, mm. it's, it's big for me. Yeah, and that, that was a bit later on, but the, the Cave Drake as well, he'd he kind of charged in uh, onto one end of the line, and, and I had a choice whether to either sort of surround him with um, with all my Numenorean warriors or try and get as many guys in there and, and try and win the fight, get some wounds off on him, or just kind of try and ignore him, which I, I did try and ignore the better, him. The better move was to ignore him, because if you'd have got round him and had won that fight, I'd have just kept going for your troops. Mm. And with you having a smaller breakpoint than me, it would have been worth more to me to kill your regular warriors. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's what happened. So I, you, I left that one guy that you charged, kind of walked everyone else off, made, made sure I'd left some gaps, uh, or sort of um, left some gap fillers, I suppose. The, some Numenorians so that if, I, if you heroic commented or barged, which you did, um, just so that they weren't going to be able to kill as many people as possible. Tactfully, you played it beautifully. Mm. You didn't really do any mistakes and you were on the ball all the time on it and it was really good to go against you oh, really that, was, man. that's very generous thank you very much you did get some really good moves off though um, you were one inch away from being able to unseat uh, Elendil from his horse from a hurl I think it was five inches wasn't it and, uh, I just needed that extra inch although don't we all yeah and um, <laughs> you said earlier five inches is, is just that a little fraction too small in, yes, yeah. so in many ways in many ways you'd have been off his horse earlier and I might have been able to get in there quicker with the drake and, yeah, and you'd have been able to get in there with a six inches that's yeah. true Ooh, uh, um, but, but you did you did do some damage I think perhaps the, there was a couple of times I've, I've made this mistake in the past that I've charged two things and wanted barged or something like that trying to maybe get a couple more and in reality sometimes it's better to go with the win that you've definitely got rather than the, the risking the uh, barge what do you think of that? I think in the end I was only four models away from breaking. Mm. Um, I think it was the right idea this turn round to try and be greedy and get them more models. Um, as it is, I didn't manage to get all the models I needed, but knowing that I was that close to breaking you and potentially coming to a draw, mm. it no, means that I learn a lesson to try harder for the next time for something else. Absolutely, yeah. As you've hinted out, neither of us got anywhere close to the camps. I mean, well, you were two turns off with the Drake in the end because you did get him a bit further off. Um, but in the final turn, I uh, you mentioned that Elendil got unseated, so he charged in furiously with his uh, with his horse um, and was countercharged by some prowlers. Uh, this is into Groblog, by the way. Uh, countercharged with uh, with some prowlers who did eventually take his horse. Yeah, no, um, it was one of those moments where if I don't start swarming him now, it's just going to keep. He's going to keep chopping through my mm. ranks, and Elendil is a powerhouse he's a tank of a man yeah. absolutely absolutely. sadly um, you didn't manage to unseat him but I managed to roll the 6 so that 6 oh, that paid off crucial. it was crucial because if I hadn't got that 6 in that last you turn you would have been able to get them strikes on Grovelog and it would have been a nil-nil draw it would have been a nil-nil draw but I did win the uh, the thing and Grovelog was already on the floor from the previous turn where he'd called a heroic defence against Allendale uh, and then that just meant that I, I had the prone shot so six, 6 dice looking for what was it 4s I think uh, for Grovelog because I, I, I was strength five, look, yeah, with the plus one. Um, so yeah, he ended up taking him out in one go, which meant I just got the kill on the leader, just pipped the victory there uh, in the very final throws of the game. Uh, neither of our minor heroes did anything, which apparently is important in this tournament. Neither of um, Bilbo was stumbling forward. He rolled a one. Shatters off, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, he shattered the banner early, early doors, which was very good. Yeah, I attempted for Lindell's um, sword towards the end of the game. Um, you in a 
desperate attempt not to let it happen, rolled, uh, what was it, five I dice? It was, uh, no, it was four in the end. So two dice. of his own will and two of the, uh, for the resistant or the uh, fortified spirit rolls. And then and he did get it. Um, but yeah, that was, because I, I keep telling people afterwards, you know, Narsil is the one that gives you the free heroic combat. A crucial target for Shatter. So yeah, you could have you could have really spelled the the end of the game there for me. Uh, but either way, uh, it didn't quite happen. 3-0 victory, but either way, congratulations and best of luck in the Thank next you round. Very much. You too. Thank you, Avery. Game number three, Clash by Moonlight against Matt Lingard. Uh, and we're going to have to keep this in brief because there's already a, ta- a turnover because ours was a bit of a grind fest. Uh, first, uh, Matt, we've got Clash by Moonlight. What is your army? Because um, obviously this is all about heroes. So give, give us a rundown of your full list, pretty much. Uh, we've got three heroes. So I've got Rutabi, uh, the leader, uh, Ringwraith with um, a horse, uh, two might, five extra will and two fate. Yeah, so 212-2, yeah. 212-2, and the uh, um, minor hero was a Dragon Knight, Eastling Dragon Knight. Very good choice for a minor hero. Made me think that I should have chosen this as well after my recent uh, sort of campaign for Eastling success. So Clash by Moonlight, and this is all about killing heroes. It's all about um, essentially doing the the stuff you would like to do in a sort of pitch battle. Did you have any particular plans um, as regards getting round, you know, the captain the uh, and the Ellendale and, and, of course, Bilbo and his trickiness? Well, I um, I successfully blacked out the horse of Alenda, which was my only real game with him. Because with yeah, I mean, I threw that transfix late game, didn't I? But that was more of a hail mary than than just you know part of a strategy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, the captain, they're, they're always quite vulnerable to being compelled. You can compel, and then you've got that turn where I put you in a position where you might have to heroic move to get away. Otherwise, you'll get peeled off, and your other guys aren't quite close enough to to intercept. So. Uh, I was mainly really happy that you only brought four bows. Because mm. yeah, because yeah, elf playing elves are uh, more bows on this scenario is very difficult. Yeah, my four bows did absolutely nothing. So <laughs> we, we it was pretty much a pitch battle. There was a lot of toing and froing at the start to try and establish where the battle was yeah. going to happen. And I was trying to push you into this big space here because I was conscious that if we blocked off it into some sort of terrain uh, gap that your pikes would have a real advantage. You got, a, I don't know how many pikes, but quite a lot. So there's 12, 12, 12, 12 pikes. 12 yeah. black dragons, so all, all the fight four. And of course you've got the Moranans on the front line, which is tricky. And, and once you've taken out the horse from Elendil, that does take a lot of the killing power off my army. But having said that, he did do a fair amount of damage in the long run, and and he was quite hard to counter. Yeah, I'd like to think he killed probably... Well over five, probably even closer to eight. He he, he was uh, horrifying. Yeah, he, he was he was pretty horrible. But you did do the. Were you saying you, you kind of managed to keep him away from the heroes? Which uh, yeah, that was the big thing. Yeah. You, you boxed off your heroes really cleverly, and even the the couple of opportunities I did have to slip slip him in through a gap or whatever. And, and Bilbo was in there at one point with Ritabi. There was a chance to get heroic combat off, but uh, it just kind of the 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 way you uh, I think you countered called with another heroic combat and pushed someone in the way and things like that. So it was yeah. it was really smart moves um, that you did to, to block those off but the, crucially here it's all about killing heroes and the captain uh, as you mentioned he's quite vulnerable with the compel uh, and, and also no strike so he, he just fell, fell pretty quickly to I think it was the Dragon Knight and the Rutabi yeah Dragon Knight and Rutabi um that's it. If you've got the fight five, you, you're really you really vulnerable to fight six heroes. Yeah. It's just there's not much you can do about it either, is there? So. No, there wasn't a lot. I mean, I did try to charge forward, and I was yeah. quite I was quite cautious in terms of I only charged like one or two um, people at once with him, made sure they weren't like you know he wasn't ever in a situation where he was fighting against four dice, for example. But um, once he you know I need to do some poking with him. He's got a lance. He's going to k- t- chop through your defense six front line. Um, but sadly, um, he did just get caught caught off guard and and I, after that I was playing an uphill battle basically yeah I mean that particular move came down to a, a roll off again mm. had it gone the other way you would have been able to peel off my heroes 
and he could have done some carnage being fight five mm. well well safe away from my fight five and fight six heroes and uh, with a lance he's really killing yeah, three he... attacks on the charge you know you can take him in if you've got him and a Lendil a Lendil with the heroic combat each turn you can clear up quite a lot of guys um, yeah. and they have and they have done that over the course of the tournament and and I suppose that's that's one of the difficult things here is that like you say a couple of roll-offs uh, each way maybe things would have been different for instance the very final turn I'll skip straight ahead to there because um, the final very very final turn you had the Dragon Knight and uh, an Easterling Pike line against Elendil it was trapped in the middle there um, and I call my free heroic combat ran out of my a while ago and if I'd have um, won that and killed uh, the Dragon Knight and one of the Easterlings he'd have been able to jump into the ring through at that point was just a few inches away uh, and had um, uh, was only on one will so that could have swung the game massively because I'd have killed one and two heroes in one go you, you, you would have won the game I think with that because um, you would have you would have not only killed the two heroes but you'd have broke me as well mm. um, yeah so you'd have it have swung which is, yeah. yeah, it's, it's insane strong. how much of that swing is. Yeah. But to be fair, you got the strike, so you, you struck up the higher. So the chances are you are going to get that. And I think you, you shielded on both the Dragon Knight and the, uh, the Warriors in the end yeah, anyway, just to guarantee it. Yeah, you played it super safe, which I, safe. Yeah, we probably talked about it afterwards. You might have been able to get the, uh, with the six dice, you should have been okay well, getting the six. It would have been six. eight dice, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Two from the shielding uh, Eastling and six from the shielding Dragon Knight, so... Yeah, yeah. So mathematically, you're yeah. safer with that still. I was going to say, yeah, you're safer, but yeah, may- maybe if you wanted to risk it, yeah. And, and it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So instead, Elendil didn't take any wounds in the last turn, which is fine, uh, but it also meant you'd guaranteed the the victory by having killed more heroes uh, early on because the captain went down early on. Bilbo still alive at the very last end of the game. He, he survived like three three turns of combat, which is crazy. But either way, uh, Matt, it was a cracking game. Eight nil win to you, um, and and I found found it was really tricky, really tricky. So uh, well played and best of luck in the next round. Well played, mate. Yeah, thank you. So final game of the day here at the uh, It Comes in Pints. And uh, we've got the Numenor. We've got Chris Gross as an opponent. And Chris, we've played, we played a few times before now. And I think you may have used the Fellowship last time. Is that right? I can't remember. Uh, I definitely kind of throw them in as spot spot things every so often. So yeah, you drop like well. an Aragorn or a Leggy yeah. in every yeah. so often. I think the last time we played would have been stock. Ports, and you had your Easterlings. Yeah, so yeah, so I can't remember what happened that one. I'm sure it didn't go very well for the Easterlings. But here we go today. So I mentioned the Fellowship. You've got what kind of Fellowship? So it's the breaking of the Fellowship Legion. Um, so it's all of the Gubbins apart from Gimli. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought Boromir might be slightly more useful to actually keep the uh, keep Merry and Pippin slightly more useful, but. Yep. Uh, it doesn't always follow. Yeah, it's, it's a weird points le- level for the fellowship, isn't it? Because you've got you've, you've got to bring the hobbits, but and you don't always really want to. No, I mean I could have done it while dropping dropping Mary Pippin and Boromir and taking Gim- uh, Gimli instead, and I've been twenty points down. Would have been five models, possibly six with the extra Smeagol. Mm. Um, so really, really low model count, which I think wouldn't have wouldn't have been any sort of benefit to me at all. But yeah. yeah. Because, of course, in this tournament, we get the free uh, minor hero or independent hero. And uh, even though you've got a legion, you're allowed to drop Smeagol in there because mm-hmm. he's a sort of ally or part of the fellowship. Yeah. Well, he's following them on a, on a log in the book, isn't he? So, yeah, might as well make it kind of vaguely thematic. So, yeah. Yeah, unlike me, <laughs> brought Bilbo <laughs> along uh, for the ride. Um, which, of course, is an interesting one in this one because you've got Frodo. Mm-hmm. And we, we, you're checking the book at the start. And um, it means that you have the ring, even though Bilbo obviously hands it off to Frodo at some point. Well, I don't know what the, the math, the, the, how they've worked it out in terms of who actually takes precedence there but either way old Bilbo definitely doesn't have the ring which makes I thought this was going to make it more tricky um, but of course we have to deploy right in the front lines because we're playing contests of champions so how did you think it was going to go um see I, I thought Aragorn was going to be a bit more bit more chewy through things um strength four find a fairly decent fight the three might turn always makes it a lot easier mm. 
um, heroic combats. But I think I don't normally like blaming dice, but my I think the dice definitely did not go my way. Um, yeah. Early on, that's very true. I think the first because. You know, I'd, I'd basically deploy in the line of my Numenorians in front of Elendil because I was like, well, you've got a free strike every turn, so you will probably outlast me, uh, or I'll take the roll off a few times and you've got an Elven Blade because you've got that Elven Made Dagger that yeah. comes with the Legion. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll line a load of guys in front and I'll just get my kill tally up with Elendil first and then see what happens um, by picking off the Hobbit slowly, <laughs> which which kind of works. Yeah. Um, and uh, Yeah, but you just kind of bounce off those Numenorians all the time. You've got the Heroic Combat the first turn, mm. you think you killed... One, yes. and then messed up after that. Yeah, so I think Aragorn got one kill over the entire game. Um, mm. And at that point, from then on in, all he was really was a vague threat to Elendil because mm. of the free strike. Yeah. Um, but even then, still need to actually convert that into kills. I think I only got one wound on Elendil. Mm. Um, so it's just one of those things where if I'm not managing to mop through troops in this scenario, it just doesn't help not at all. Yeah, and I could just tarp at you basically because I, I've, I've sent, um, as I say, Ellen and the captain went straight for Pippin on the right flank. Sorry, Pippin. Um, and then um, Heroic commented from him into Legolas, uh, who you didn't strike with, which was a no. bit of a bit of a booboo on your boo-boo, part. Yep. Um, but it didn't kill him. Um, and then, the, oh, sorry, I've stolen your foot. Uh, the next turn, um, he did, he did though, uh, take uh, Legolas down, even though you struck that time. So, yes. you know, only two attacks against the might. The, the big pile of dice that I was throwing at you it's t- hard hard balance to find there yeah and even with the banner reroll from being part of the legion it was yeah the two attacks against your it was four on the charge plus I think you had the captain yeah, on there as so well that was three as well yeah. a lot of dice yeah, yeah of dice. I mean and it's it's, it's unlikely if, you've, if I've got seven dice for you to, <laughs> to get the higher roll but but and also because you'd spent two might again to save one of your fate rolls in the, the previous yes. turn so yeah. so yeah you, you were you were low on my low on low on chances really and then from then I, you know I'd already got the advantage in killing and I think you'd sent Aragorn in I wondered whether that was the mistake I think if you'd have sent Aragorn carried on into the Numenorians and avoided Elendil because mm. um, you know you're not going to kill it and get any kill tallies on Elendil yeah. wait for the moment that you've got more kills than me than because I'm only going to ever kill the three, four hobbits, yes. if I'm lucky with, and all of them with Elendil, mm-hmm. I'd have to do it all with Elendil. But then, um, if you got two kills with uh, with Aragorn, and then another, and then another, and kind of shielded me off until you gonna essentially win on the tallies and then go for uh, Elendil that might have been the way to go forward yeah maybe I mean I think with how you'd positioned everything I think you had kind of closed yourself off mm. a lot with Elendil but mm. at that point you just leave yourself enough space yeah. and just drop him off the horse you're still a, a big big figure coming yeah, into yeah, me yeah, yeah um, I mean I could yeah. I could wander around the edges and sort of pick off the weaker end members of the fellowship but I mean you're left with Boromir <laughs> and Aragorn at some point mm. basically yeah yeah I think that's what it came down to wasn't it Boromir mm. and Aragorn and then uh, poor old Aragorn getting trapped against a pillar with with from the Normanorians, it was just didn't go well. Yeah, it was just it was just slowly chipping away until eventually you were going to lose a combat and you were going to uh, cop three or four um, strength four guys yeah. trapping you, which yeah. which is enough. When defense five, it's enough to kill yeah. you easy. Yeah, it's 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 one of the hardships of taking. I mean, you get so many nice bonuses, but then you don't get to take the lightsaber, you don't get the armor, you don't get bows, but mm. kind of you get everything else with it, which is it's a nice swap more often than not. But I think definitely hundred points down. Having a bit of an extra beat stick in Gimli might have been a better idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who yeah. knows? Who knows? I mean, th- yeah, because I managed to churn through the Hobbits, which mm. is an easy target. If it was just Gimli, uh, I mean, Elendil will have a chance, but you know, you got the strike ups and all mm. that sort of stuff, so at least gives you the opportunity. But um, I think it was. Uh, I think uh, you killed oh, only five. Yeah. Only five Numenorians seems mm-hmm. a bad, bad <laughs> role. But I, I think I, I just because I was so careful at picking you off in the ways, and you did 
play play sort of uh, uh, gets quite some quite unlucky rolls early on. You just didn't manage to get any any kind of momentum at all. And I always had the traps mm-hmm. with you, so yeah. it's just really tricky to to counter it. So it ended up being a ten-one. I think it was yes. ten-one win. So I killed uh, more. I tripled the heroes. I got the one wound off with Elendil, but I did kill Ar- uh, Aragorn with the with the rest of the troops. And you did wound Elendil, so you get the one point. So so uh, congratulations. And we we should say our minor heroes did absolutely nothing. Our three yeah. independent heroes. I mean, I think Smeagol got ganked by four Numenorians yeah. in the first turn, and then Bilbo just decided to read his book for the rest yeah, of the day he, rather he, than anything else. He was else. just standing around watching and sort of thinking, this is quite fun, but I don't have a ring. He was looking at his palm the whole time. <laughs> I used to have a ring in this palm, uh, but he didn't anymore. So, um, yeah, he didn't get to do anything, which is actually it's some, somewhat important for the tournament in some way, but probably yeah. not because I can't remember what table we're on. We're on table seven or six. or We're, do, we're, we're not doing great. But either way, um, congratulations, Chris. A 10-1 uh, loss. So I don't know what that puts you on at the, for the rest of the tournament. Is it um, one so, just one win. Yeah. So kind of near the bottom, but I mean, I took a very uh, took a very small list, and uh, it's just for fun anyway. So I'm not too fast. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks very much for the game. It's a cracker. No, cheers, Harry. So really mixed bag there. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, the tournament. A really small sort of uh, points level, and it was nice to have that extra sort of. Uh, mixture of uh, of sort of minor heroes that have been dropped in and to see the sorts of people um, sort of heroes that people came up with to bring along uh, really interesting obviously Aiden and Lummer at the first game uh, <laughs> What a mix he had! I mean, Leggy, Glorfindel, Haldir, and Arwen all thrown in there. Arwen being his free one. What a what a great idea he had! Um, some great stuff there. Um, and then uh, obviously we had uh, other ones like a shaman. Uh, just a random shaman dropped in there, a black shield shaman, you know, that sort of thing against Rich and Storm the Camp. Um, Matt uh, Lingard, he sa- he's saying, I think he said just before the game, um, his Dragon Knight, he was surprised that more people didn't bring the Dragon Knight. So great point. Um, and he won his game against me, of course. Uh, and Chris Gross there right at the end, uh, having a good good old mix with Smeagol drops in of his, uh, his slightly strange sort of um, kind of fellowship list. Um, but either way, I, I really enjoyed the whole, uh, the whole thing, really, because... I, I got the two wins and I got the uh, two losses, so it's you know it's a half and half, which I'm I'm quite happy with for a four four, <coughs> four game tournament. Excuse me, um, and it went. It was really interesting to to try Numenor at five hundred points. I think I still can't decide whether whether this is this is the peak list because um, obviously uh, Elendil and a captain is is great. Twenty three models you've got such a big hitter but I think you put so many eggs into that basket of Elendil's uh, sort of fight that you kind of rely really heavily on him not um, screwing something up so you know you kind of need him to be killing at least two or three models a turn if not sort of four uh, sometimes and if you're against elves or or something that's just a bit hardier or even two wound models like hunter orcs or something like that then I'd imagine it'd be quite tricky for him to do that because you know even on the charge four uh, four dice on the charge he's only winning like half the time um if that and then obviously you've got to spend some might to make sure he wins because you don't want to lose his horse because then he'll kill even less so um it, it's a lot of eggs in one basket and obviously 400 uh, sorry 500 points he's like nearly he's two-fifths of the army so that's a lot that's 40 percent of your army that's that's quite a lot so um whether he's the right choice or not at these low points, I don't know. But he's certainly the most fun. So uh, I'm, I'm sticking with him because he just kicks. He's just really good. He's got a lot of fun. People, I seem think people really enjoy playing him. Um, I think the problem I'm having is that I'm probably enjoying him going toe-to-toe with big heroes. 
more than I should. And actually, I want to avoid him going to toe to toe with people like, for example, Glorfindel. Uh, although I did manage to take Glorfindel at the end, didn't I? Um, I think what he really needs to be doing is just churning through the dudes. But then Glorfindel can also churn through the dudes. Like he can chop through, uh, uh, you know, a, a, lo- a load of Numenorians pretty quick if he calls the might and all that sort of stuff. So maybe that's the plan. Elendil can chop through heroes quicker than um, lots of big hitters, unless you like Aragorn or something like that. Um, he could chop through them quicker than those. And also, by the time, you know, the opponent has chopped through a few, maybe called a few heroic combats or, or spent some might on moves or whatever, then you can um, send Elendil in who's got sort of spent less points of might to do the right combats and stuff. Uh, and he can maybe uh, duel, uh, duel with... Um, Glumpinol or someone without the risk of the uh, the death. So um, that's interesting. Uh, that's that's the sort of overall strategy I th- think I'm coming to the conclusion of. Whether or not we manage to remember that in the uh, future or or not, I don't know. Because of course, Elendil will return uh, to the tabletops. Now, um, basically, uh, we've got the winner to talk to, and we've got the tournament organizer to talk to. Now, uh, Nathan and Carl uh, are the tournament organizers here. But um, Nathan is planning another one in January, which will be the next podcast. So I decided, well, let's grab a bit of a chat with the uh, uh, Carl, the organiser of the tournament, and then we'll hear from whoever took the big pint glass trophy because it comes in pints. It needs to have some pint-sized trophies to go with it. So just to round things off, it's uh, let's talk to one of the uh, tournament organisers, Carl Daly. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe mention the other one in a minute. But um, Carl, uh, first of all... Uh, how do you think everything's gone? It's, uh, people seem to have had a really nice day. I think it's gone swimmingly, better than what I expected. Yeah. I was, it can um, be stressful. It was. It was to start with, kind of get all the scenery done um, first, but it went all right. Yeah, went in right. my experience, running events, um, the, it's the two or three weeks lead up to it um, that's really stressful. People not responding to messages, people not signing up on long shanks, all these sorts of things. But um, the actual day, usually it, it can be pretty relaxing. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I, I've really enjoyed it. Nathan's really enjoyed it, and can't wait to do it again. Yeah, brilliant. And so d- let's d- focus in a little bit on the the format because five hundred points, and you've also done this extra thing of of giving people the chance to uh, have a hero of what was it eighty five points maximum, a minor or independent hero. Maximum of sixty five points. 65. Um, minor or independent hero, preferably from your army list um, yeah. or a green ally. Yeah. So that you can see how many they can kill. Yeah, so it's all about that, because that was one of the deciding uh, factors to winning a pint jug. Um, so what, what, was, what was the inspiration behind that? Uh, it comes in pints. Uh, I, I was watching, watching the Fellowship, and I was like, oh, I, how could you not? And then victory points, victory pints, it just seemed to work. So, yeah. um, and yeah. and, the, and the, the victory pints thing li- being linked to a minor hero, why, why did you go for that? It was something extra. Um, I didn't want a big hero i didn't want uh, like a, a, a hero of valor or fortitude or something like that mm. um but i thought someone small that might be able to tip the scales in the battle and then it feels very tolkien-esque doesn't it you know the, the little guy that could yes but this time it was a uh, a little woman maybe <laughs> uh, eowyn took the crown with 23 kills yeah um, over the course of the tournament that's pretty good going and my, my bilbo is pretty awful there was another bilbo as well i think i'd f- falsely thought if i had someone who can Buff, buff the rest of my army than that, but that's clearly not focusing in on the reason for bringing this extra person. But yeah, clearly Eowyn, great choice. Yeah, it was uh, very good, especially with being on horse with a spear. It just makes a lot of sense. And she's really points effective as well, and she's cheap. So 
So will, we can, can we expect another It Comes in Pints? It will, there will definitely be another one. I can't say exactly when it is yet. We or how many pints will be involved? <laughs> there will be at least two. <laughs> at least two pints, amazing. Yes. <laughs> and also, uh, it's worth noting, Nathan, you were involved, weren't you? I was there, in attendance, yes. Excellent, that'll do. Right. <laughs> Nathan Talbot, uh, t- joint CEO here and Carl Daly there. Here at It Comes in Pints. So, winner of the event, Aidan Lummer. We played against early on. You, you beat me in round one, so that obviously set your path to victory. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, it's a very nice prize. I didn't expect a podium at all. Um, had four very nice games against four very nice people. Yeah, it was a great day. Did you, did, did, so, you won all the games, or did you uh, get, get any losses today? Uh, no, uh, all four wins. What was it about your army you think that, that managed to pip it at 500 points? Because uh, just to remind people, this was the Elven, there's Haldir with Pajama Elves um, and three big heroes, basically. Uh, yeah, Haldir, Legolas and Glorfindel, um, they mostly performed very well over the day. I got unlucky on some dice rolls and luckier on some others ones, but yeah, the army did be very, very proud. Yeah, cause actually, I think at 500 points, if you've got Fight 5 and a decent amount of numbers, which you're nearly 20 or something like that, wasn't yeah, it? So 18. So and Elves, it, it's pretty pretty solid yeah absolutely I had enough numbers to not get overwhelmed by a normal sized army but then it was elite enough to deal with most things you'd see at 500 points yeah and Glorfindel big hitter Wrath of Bruin and did that go off at any point um, I got uh, three Wrath of Bruins off over the, no yeah, two Wrath of Bruins off over the day uh, one knocked uh, an Eowyn off a horse uh, and the other one right at the end knocked over a Sharky which helped me tag him later in contest of champions amazing so uh, I, well congratulations Aidan and, and I know this from, from what I gather this is your first ever uh, sort of win at an event I know you've, you've won painting awards plenty but this, this is the you know first gaming event is this a, a taste of things to come um, no <laughs> <laughs> uh, no it won't be um, it's a very small friendly event isn't it it's worth yeah, yeah absolutely it was nice to win a, a very nice casual friendly event yeah brilliant well congratulations Aidan thank you so there you go Aidan Lummer winner of the tournament uh, congratulations to him because Aidan uh, we've spoken to him on the podcast a few times because he uh, a regular in the Nottingham sort of area and um, a cracking a cracking uh, a kind of player generally and lovely bloke amazing amazing art uh, that he does on his models so often I talk, I sort of talk to him in that context about his models but um, also a very solid player and with the list like Glorfindel, Legolas, Haldir and Arwen uh, and a load of Wood Elves uh, there as well you know you can't really go go wrong with that um, he won all his games I think he's the only one who did I think we just said and um, and you know he beat me 6-3 so who knows if I'd have won that first game I might have been taking the uh, to the top because it was a close one I'm not not going to pretend that it was a uh, an, an easy ride for uh, for him or for me but um, he did he did come out on top uh, after I think uh, me probably wasting a lot of time trying to kill Glorfindel but anyway, a great tournament. Uh, thank you again to all of my uh, opponents, Chris, Rich, Matt and Aidan, uh, and to Carl and Nathan who uh, ran the tournament and the guys at the shop as well, of course. And worth noting, uh, Carl was planning the other one. Uh, he's no longer helping organise the, the, the tournament uh, for the next podcast, so it's just Nathan Talbot. So we have to speak to Nathan Talbot in the next podcast. Um, but Nathan's uh, a legend of the community, so looking forward to that one. Uh, should be a few local lads uh, heading down from the Lincoln and Lincolnshire area because uh, it's Lincolnshire and hopefully some Nottingham dudes as well so it'll be great to see you all in Grantham um, and I'm looking forward to the next uh, podcast and uh, remember uh, do get in touch uh, entmootpodcast at gmail.com if you have an opinion on the 3D printing debate uh, Nathan's kicked this off Nathan Colkman, a different Nathan uh, about uh, what we were talking about earlier on in the podcast uh, do you think 3D printing uh, your models or your entire MESBG army 
is good for the game in the long run. Let me know what you think. Podcast at gmail.com. I'm intrigued. I want to delve into the inbox properly in the next episode. So uh, get them in as soon as you hear this podcast because it may be a quick turnaround for the next episode. But that's it. That's the whole episode. Thanks very much. Really excited about the next one. It should be uh, coming down the track pretty quickly after this one. So uh, looking forward to it. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Boorum. Boorum.